Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, I just wanted to give you all a short introduction to this five-part series on Islamic spirituality. I was very excited to put together this series because Islamic spirituality or Sufism has been a big interest for me and a system of thinking that I turn to time and time again to solve major obstacles and challenges I face in my personal life. All throughout my years of studying, I was blessed to have the subject matter as a core part of my training, so I've had a wide exposure to it through both books and practitioners. And I think in the current climate, it's more important than ever. Now, the first few episodes are a little more theoretical, so if you feel the information is too much, be sure to check out the episode notes, which I think will help you navigate through the material. I get more practical in episodes 4 and 5. And, as always, I'm open to feedback. You can leave comments on the Facebook page and Instagram, both under the name Making Sense of Islam, or you could go to makingsenseofislam.com to submit an email. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Take care. So uh, just to remind ourselves where, where we are uh, in this topic. So last Friday we talked a lot about the hadith of Jibreel salam, and we, we mapped out these major, four major areas that the Prophet referred to as our deen. So the area of uh, correct actions, orthopraxy, all of the actions that we do that make us Muslim are shahada, saying the shahada, our prayer, our fast, etc. And then we talked about belief, orthodoxy, correct belief, and the six articles of faith. We talked about ihsan, uh, which is the subject of, that we are concerned with now, the, the spiritual journey and uh, the spiritual quest, and we talked about our eschatology, the, the things that we believe that will happen at the end of time and, and beyond. And at the end of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, this is Gabriel, he came to teach you your religion. Meaning everything that preceded is the parts, the, 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 the parts that make the whole of the religion of Islam. So to, to, to be a Muslim, to have Islam means to, you know, fall, have a portion of these four things, okay? So that's sort of where we are. So today, we're, inshallah, we're, we're going to pick up from that point. And um, th- there will be use for this. I mean, we are going to use Lego to explain Islam today, inshallah. Whenever we have something that we are trying to figure out inside the tent of Islam, 
we, we go to certain sources, right? So the first source that we go to is we go to the Qur'an. And we look in the, in the verses and the chapters, uh, we look at the tafsir. You know, that's like rule number one, we go to the Qur'an, we see what does the Qur'an say? Because actually, oftentimes people say things uh, that are in the Qur'an and they're not in the Qur'an. Uh, and sometimes people end up saying, well, you know, Islam says this and Islam says that. And actually Islam doesn't say anything like whatsoever to that effect. So even though we all nod, yeah, of course we go to the Qur'an, I'm serious, we go to the Qur'an and we look, we see, is, is there something there that says this, that says that? And the second source that we go to is we go to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And of course the sunnah, as we know, it's, it's a little bit more uh, statistically than the Qur'an. The Qur'an, we have 6,236 verses. The hadith... Uh, is more, you know, 60 to 80,000 hadith. If you look at all of the different chains of narration, it's about 100, 120,000 hadith. That's the canon of the hadith, all of the hadith, the strong to the weak, not, not including the maldua or the forged hadith, that's something else altogether. And we also have the seerah of the Prophet, the life of the Prophet, the biography of the Prophet through time. So the hadith usually are categorized or cataloged in the uh, using the cataloging scheme of the books of fiqh because the hadith were cataloged and used to prove certain fiqhi positions so you'll have like in sahih al-bukhari you know you have the book of tahara the book of purification and these are the hadith that that prove you know the the rulings for purification the book of salah these are the hadith that go to proving you know the things that we say about salah so they're categorized more or less like that. But the seerah is different. The seerah is the story of the Prophet ﷺ through time. And the seerah is not all of the hadith. And the burden for what we accept in the seerah is much lower than what we accept in the hadith. Because in the seerah, we want to we fall in love with the Prophet ﷺ. So our goal is different. So if there's a weak hadith there, here, weak hadith there, we're not really concerned because it just adds, you know, adds spice, it adds flavor to the story. So when we say that the first uh, place we go to is the Qur'an, that's known. But when we say the second place is the Sunnah, Sunnah is a little bit wider. It's not just the Hadith. It's the Hadith and it's the Seerah. And it's also the Khasa'is, the special qualities of the Prophet And also the Shama'il, the characteristics of the Prophet There are different genres of writing that we put together. Now they're all Hadith, right? But there are different genres that have different goals in the writing. And... That's what we mean by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. When we want to know a question, we go to the Qur'an and, when, and we go to the Sunnah. When somebody says, oh, this is haram or this is halal, we, we, to verify that, we go back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. But with the subject of spirituality, there's a third area that we also go to, which is important for us to highlight, which is the human experience. So the experience of the people that came before us in following the Qur'an and the Sunnah. To use a legal word, it's like precedent. You know, what's the precedent on, on this? Why is that important? Because we've said before, and we agree that we're all different. And if we're all different, then the way we will understand the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and the way we will implement it, and what we will feel when we implement it, will be different. You know, I can't tell you this is exactly how you're going to feel when you fast. I mean, I can tell you how you're going to feel physically. You're going to feel, you know, thirsty and 
And, you know, but I can't explain to you the joy that you feel when you break your fast like the hadith of the Prophet because the joy will be you know, different. Sometimes the joy is simply that the headache has gone away. And you're like, Alhamdulillah. It's like somebody, you know, the headache has vanished. And you're like, Alhamdulillah, right? But of course, the Prophet means something deeper than that. Because he said when the person that fasts breaks their fast, they have two joys. One when they break their fast, and one when they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's something even greater, you know, that we can't describe. So the way we feel when we pray, the way we feel when we uh, give charity, or when we help out, or whatever, it's all going to be different. It's all subjective, the way we feel. So because of that, because the journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is an individual journey, and we're all trying to do it together, we look to, the, to our past and we see the people that excelled at this in the past. How did they take all of these verses and all of these hadith and how did they implement them to, to maximize their spiritual experience with Islam? So we look, we look uh, to that. So this is the first the first prop, okay, that we're going to use. And, and these will help us. Lego will help us understand Islam. So, usually, when we talked about um, the, the, the framework of the Islamic sciences of, of the Sharia or orthopraxy, uh, Iman, uh, theology, orthodoxy, the spiritual path, all that stuff, usually the ulama like it, like, liken it to a circle. Okay, so look at this wheel. I hope everyone can see it. So the, the tire, right, on this wheel, and I know it's a little crude, but the tire on the wheel, this is the sharia. Okay, so right action and right belief is the circumference. To be a Muslim, or if somebody says they're a Muslim, they place themselves on this circumference. Because there's no coercion, right? No one's here because... They're forced to be here. Maybe the kids, your parents made you come, but that's a different type of coercion. But we are not coerced to belief. Right? There was no coercion in religion. So that's why I use that word very carefully. We have placed ourselves on the circumference of the circle. Meaning that anywhere we walk on the circle, we are in the okay. We are in the okay of actions and the okay of belief. So I'm just going to pray five times a day. I'm not going to pray any more than that. I'm on the circle. I'm going to pray five times a day and I'm going to do all of the sunnas. I'm also on the circle. I'm still on the circle. No one's going to say, oh, this is wrong or this is right, you know, anything like that. I'm just going to fast Ramadan. I'm on the circle. I believe, you know, there's one God. I'm on the circle. I believe there's two gods. I'm not on the circle. I'm on another circle somewhere else. Okay, so it's very simple. But this path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're each on individually the ulama say it's like the radii that go from the circle to the center. The center being the goal, meaning that we've reached this realization. Not that Allah is in the center. I mean, we're not, we can't place Allah hasha in a physical location. But the center being ihsan, the way that the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, to worship Allah as if you see Him. That's the goal, that's the middle. Now why do the ulama uh, use, and maybe I'm the first person to ever use Lego to describe this, but why do the ulama use the circle and the radii and the, and, the, and the circumference and all of that to explain all of this visually. How many radii are there from the circumference to the center? How many? 
Infinite. There's an infinite number of radii from any circumference to the center. And the reason that the ulama use this uh, image to describe what we're, we're talking about is because we each, in our individuality, have our own unique path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why this image is used. Because there's an infinite amount of radii. I mean, there's not an infinite amount of human beings, but the point being all... Muslims that ever were, and all Muslims that are, and all Muslims that ever will be, you know, let's just say it's a lot of people. Each one of those persons is a, a radii going from the circumference to the center. Meaning that you see, when Gabriel asks the Prophet ﷺ these questions, he asks about Ahsan third. And as I mentioned before, the eschatology stuff about uh, what happens towards the end of time and beyond. Uh, we usually subsume that into our belief system, in our aqidah. So let's just say there's three branches of Islam. Uh, sharia, aqidah, and uh, tazkiyah, and spirituality, tasawwuf, whatever word we use to, to call it. So to be able to access the center, you can only access the center if your beginning point is the circumference. And the circumference, therefore, in this example, is our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. And that's just a fancy way of saying the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So we can't access Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within this system of belief that we have unless we begin from right action and right belief. So what that means is I need to know that stuff first. Just like the Prophet answered that stuff first. I need to know how to pray. And when I say I need to know, I don't need to be like the greatest mufti that ever lived. I just need to know the basics. How do you wash for prayer? And how do you pray? And what are the various circumstances that I face in my life? I travel a lot. I don't travel. I'm sick. I, I have back problems. I can't care. Whatever each individual person has, you need to know how to apply your action Islam to that. And the belief stuff, we need to have correct belief. You know, we need to, when we say uh, we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does that mean? What is the definition of Allah? What is the definition of the Prophet Because all of these things have definition. And as trivial as that sounds, if you begin that journey, you will discover that we might have inherited wrong beliefs. And you might discover that we have done things wrong. But that's important because that, the journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins from that circumference. And all of the Salaf you know, that spoke about this science, like Imam al-Junaid, you know, who's often quoted they, uh, in this uh, regard, you know, they always talk about the importance of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the Kitab and the Sunnah, all the time. There's, you know, this, this discipline of ours is guarded by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. This discipline of ours is governed by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. As a matter of fact, the people that talk about the spiritual path reference the Qur'an and the Sunnah more than anybody else. Why? Because of this. Because you can't do it unless you are starting from the right point, the right place. And because of that, because they're starting from, or you, we need to start from the right place, and because there's an infinite amount of radii going to the center, that means everybody's journey is going to be different. So, wouldn't you want to know about somebody in the past who did this, who did this journey and was successful and want to know how they succeeded? That's sort of what we mean by we look to the experience of those before precedent. 
Because if you take all of the hadith and all of the Qur'an that deal with this issue, and remember, uh, and you've heard me say this many times, that the vast majority of the primary sources, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, 97, 98% of them speak to moral issues. They do not speak to issues of the law. So here we're talking about the vast majority of the Qur'an and the vast majority of the hadith. Unlike when people ask, uh, what do I do if this happens, what do I do if that happens, that's a very narrow area, the Sharia is very narrow. If you looked at all of the hadith that praised you know, fasting, all of the hadith that praised seeking knowledge, all of the hadith that praised Qiyamul Layl, all of the hadith that praised charity, where do you start? Which one should you do? Should you be on the path of knowledge? Should you fast every day? Should you donate more money? Should you change your sleep cycle and wake up in the middle of the night and pray? Should you do all of it? You know, what are you supposed to do? And if you look, a very good book is the book of um, Imam al-Nawawi called Al-Athkar. And I mention it uh, because it's also translated, the book of remembrance. It's, it's translated by a, a British uh, Muslim uh, translator. And you can, you can get it. It's a very, the, and actually I think we have a copy here. But if you looked at that book, Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, he tried to catalog all of the Athkar that the Prophet did in all of the uh, modes of life that he lived. Now, if you took that book, it would be impossible to say all of that stuff all the time. It, it was as if the Prophet said, that's all he did. And, you know, that's essentially all he did is he was a person of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it would be impossible for us to do it. To memorize all those athkar and all the time and all those incidences to say all of these acts of remembrance. So that book is like an encyclopedia. It's like a source for us to go to. But which one of those should we say? If you look at all of the things that the Prophet said in the morning, and all of the dhikr that he did in the afternoon or the evening, which ones do we say? It becomes a little overwhelming. And the reason I highlight this issue of precedent or the experience of people before us is precisely for this reason, is we want to know people that have done this and have succeeded. What did they do? And remember with this, that there's an infinite ways of doing it. So there's no one way of doing it. But it's all correct because it all comes from the circumference. It all comes from the kitab and the sunnah. It all comes from correct actions and correct belief. But if, I'm, if we're all beginning from correct action and correct belief, and we journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but one of us likes fasting more, one of us likes charity more, one of us wants to dedicate their life to knowledge, etc. That means that we're all on the path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it's an individual path. And it's an individual journey. We can help each other, we can support each other, we can encourage each other. But at the end of the day, this is an individual path. Right? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ مَالٌ وَلَا بَنُونَ إِلَّا مَنْ أَتَى اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٌ On Yawm Al-Qiyamah, nobody's going to help you. No possessions is going to help you. No wealth is going to help you. The only thing that's going to help you is if you come to Allah with a sound heart. And this brings us to the next sort of uh, subject area, which is identifying first who we are, what is the human being in the understanding of Islam so that we can place this discussion of spirituality. So this is what this is about. So, let us say that this uh, piece of Lego 
represents, and this is all I could produce in uh, su such a quick time. This Lego is the, is the physical body. Okay, so everyone agrees that we have a physical body. We all see it, you know, you know and perceive it. But the physical body is something that's also shared with other created beings, you know, animals and, you know, uh, in the unseen world, like the jinn and the angels, you know, there's some kind of physicalness, maybe the physical body is a little bit different. And then on the physical body comes something that we call the soul, a ruh. okay? The soul is like the battery of the body. So now the body is alive. It's, it, the organs are working, the circulatory system is working, um, but maybe there's no consciousness, or maybe the body's asleep, or then maybe the body's in a coma, but there's still a soul. So at the level of the soul, with the body, now, like, that's an animal that's alive, or a human that's alive, okay? Just think of it as the battery. But there's also this third thing called the nefs, the self. And the nefs is what makes us unique from other created beings. Now, here it's, it's nicely stacked and everything, but in reality, we don't know how the soul is on the body. And how, I mean, maybe it's like this. We don't know exactly. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They ask you about the ruh. Say you've only been given a little bit of knowledge. Meaning we don't know exactly, is it like this? Is the soul here? You know, is it inside us? Is it attached? That's not really what's concerning us. But what concerns us for many, many reasons is that we are made up of body, soul, and nafs. Now, one of the challenges that we have when we discuss this is that many authors will skip one of the three and they will refer to the soul as the nafs. So it gets a little confusing in our own literature. It actually took me several years to, to, and I needed a lot of help to figure that there's actually three distinct things. There's the body, that's very easy to understand, but then there's the soul, and then there's the nafs, the self. So in, in my discussion, inshallah, we will be using the, these three distinct so that we can understand. But don't let that trip you up if you like read Imam al-Ghazali or something like that. And they talk about you know, the soul experiencing that. In that context is, is what I'm referring to as you know, this red piece or the nafs, the self. Now when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the Qur'an to the Prophet sallallahu and when we hear this message, and we hear this what we call moral obligation, taklif, what is being spoken to? Is it the body? Is it the soul? Or is it the, is it the self? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to do something, pray five times a day, fast the month of Ramadan, you know, uh, pay your zakah, what is being addressed? Is it the body? Is it the soul? Or is it the nafs? What makes us morally responsible? It's the nafs. Because we agreed that there are many things that have a body, and no soul, like a dead animal or a dead person. There are many things that can have a body and a soul, an unconscious person, a sleeping person, uh, an animal. But we are unique that we have the self. Which means, by the way, that when we sleep, the nafs is sort of off in the yonder, 
We have no taklif, we have no moral responsibility when we're asleep. So if you do something when you're sleeping, like, I don't know, you, you do something wrong or, you know, then there's no moral responsibility because you're asleep, just like if you're unconscious. But when you wake up and the nafs is back, then you, you're, you're, you're on, you're on. So one time I think I hit my wife by accident when I was sleeping and she woke me up and she yelled at me. I said, but I have no taklif, I was sleeping. Was, I had just learned this, so it was fresh on my, it, it didn't work, but uh, that was fresh in my mind. Anyway, so we have the nafs. Now, the reason it's important to know this is that it will help us when we come to understand what the Qur'an says about this subject. So just to recite this first again that we just recited, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, that nothing will help us on the final hour except the person that has come with a sound heart. So this is the subject of the science of the heart. The Sharia talks about actions. Iman talks about belief, which is uh, you know belief in the unseen. But spirituality or tazkiyah talks about the heart. Not necessarily the physical heart, but what we refer to as the spiritual heart. And the spiritual heart is where this nafs, where the self is going to be. And it is physically located in the, in the same area as the, as the physical heart. But when we refer, when Allah refers to the heart in the Qur'an, that's not what He's talking about. He's talking about the spiritual heart. And the spiritual heart is the organ that is addressed by our Creator. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just to make this clear, He says, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنِ do they not understand and reflect on the Qur'an or are there locks around its heart? So in this verse, Allah is saying the organ that we use to read and understand the divine message, read and understand the prophetic model, وسلم, is our spiritual heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also refers to it as the nafs. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, in Surah Al-Shams, He says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا Blessed or victorious is the one that purifies their nafs, and cursed is the one that allows it to fall. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the nafs, the nafs and the heart being interchangeable in the you know, Islamic sources. The Prophet ﷺ in a hadith, so that was the Qur'an in the hadith, He said, Deed in the body is a morsel of flesh. If it is corrected, the whole body will be correct. If it is corrupted, the whole body will be corrupt. Indeed, it is the heart. So the heart, the reason that this subject is so important, and the reason that the extreme vast majority of our sources speak to this issue, is because if we can get this right, everything else about us, as far as our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be fine. If we get this wrong, unfortunately everything else will be, will be wrong. And herein is the difference between you know, people like us, who let us say we're trying the best we can, and other people you know, that are you know, creating unbelievable crimes against humanity, against Muslims in the name of Islam. But they pray, and they fast, and they read the Qur'an, and they might pray more than we pray. You know, you read some of these stories of these um, uh, like ISIS figures 
Uh, and they were like in jail and all they were doing is praying all day and all night. I mean, I mean, they probably pray more in a week than we pray in a year. But, but look at what they're doing. Right? Because the heart is not fixed. So you can't have just the outside of Islam and expect that it's going to be fine. It's about what's on the inside that matters ultimately. Except the one who has come to Allah with a sound heart. Not... You know, an Excel sheet of prayers filled out and boxes ticked of days fasted. That's not what Allah Ta'ala said. Even though we still have to do those things. But Allah said on that final hour, the only thing that's going to matter is the state of our spiritual heart. And this is why when the Prophet ﷺ referred to these people, he said that the Qur'an, they read it and they act, uh, they look like they act in the name of Islam, but the Qur'an has not penetrated their heart. لا تجاوز uh, their throats. The, the Qur'an does not go past what they recite and penetrate their heart. So you can read the Qur'an but not be affected by it. And that's not what we want. So in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, this morsel of flesh, this part of the body, if it's fixed, everything else will be fixed. Physically and spiritually. In another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he was talking about taqwa, about being conscious and aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, taqwa ha you know, taqwa is here, and he did this three times, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, pointing to his, you know, to his chest, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, now we have a little bit more understanding of what this subject matter is about. It's about our spiritual heart. It's about how do we unlock, to use the language of the Qur'an, our hearts, so that we can receive this message unfiltered, and that we can act on it, and as the Qur'an says, improve the level of our nafs. Improve the level of our self, or our heart. So that everything, as the Prophet ﷺ said, everything in our Islam life will be fixed, and sort of directed the right way. So this is what this subject matter is. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here, because it, it's going to get much more complicated. Uh, so I want to make sure uh, we're all on the same page.